0: Hello there, Michael here with a special episode of The Strategy Report. With Formula 1 back this weekend, and with your weekends now gone for pretty much the rest of the year, we're going to try something a little bit different. So in the lead up to the Belgium-Italy double header, we've got a short recap of the strategy from last year's races to get you back into the game. It's a bit of an experiment and we'd love to know what you think, so let us know via our social media channels. And don't worry, our regular strategy debriefs are still coming up after both races. So for now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato and today a recap of the 2018 Belgian and Italian Grand Prix. In what could be a parallel for this year's race, in 2018 Sebastian Vettel used Ferrari's powerful engine to outgun pole sitter Lewis Hamilton out of La Source and into the lead to secure a much needed victory. But, as I discussed with renowned F1 statsman Sean Kelly this time last season, it was the carnage at the first turn that really sealed the deal in Vettel's favour. While that crash was happening, of course, at Turn 1, Sebastian Vettel was busy taking the lead off Lewis Hamilton. Yes, obviously, the slipstream was quite powerful because of the headwind down that straight, but if there was any moment that you really felt like the Ferrari power unit and package was really well put together and well equipped for this race, it was how quickly Sebastian Vettel was able to relieve Lewis Hamilton of that lead.
1: Right, and if you're going to not lead into Turn 1, this is one of the best tracks to be second into Turn 1 because after you come out of La Source, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a good 20... 25 seconds of full throttle so you've got plenty of time to get in a slipstream to line up a pass but one thing I would say is that yes obviously the Vettel pass of Hamilton was critical to the outcome of the race arguably just as critical was the collision between Ricciardo and Raikkonen at the first corner Um, because what that did from a strategy point of view is completely clear up any ambiguities about strategy because you took out Raikkonen and Ricardo, there was no sense of well where are they going to drop in like if we pit now are we going to be behind these guys are we going to be ahead of them when are they pitting what tyres will they take they were suddenly removed from the equation and that gave us a much more conventional very very linear um, strategy for the race, for both Ferrari and for Mercedes.
0: And more importantly, it did make it exactly a straight fight between Vettel and Hamilton. There really was nowhere for, for Mercedes to hide at the end of this. And I think it was Toto Wolff's words after the race that said this showed up all of our deficits to Ferrari. There was no way for them to avoid that or, or blame anything else.
1: We knew from from Friday that um, the, the, the one unknown was Hamilton and Vettel's pace on a long run on softs because... Hamilton and Vettel had both done their long runs on medium tyres on Friday. And obviously both had decided that the medium was not for them because they didn't run it in the race. I also knew from from looking at the performance of the super soft tyre on Friday, that it was always likely that that tyre was gonna run longer in the race than people thought it would. Um, One of the other things that was uh, something I was looking at but actually didn't transpire was based on Friday's running, it seemed like that undercut was not as helpful as it has been at other circuits. That turned out to be not to be the case. The the undercut was there. um, And Ferrari obviously had to react very quickly once Hamilton headed for pit lane.
0: Yeah, and that was one of two circumstances in which Hamilton could feasibly have perhaps taken the lead back from Sebastian Vettel. The first was, of course, the safety car restart and Lewis Hamilton's eagerness to try and get that job done after the safety car line, which is at the bus stop chicane, essentially. That put him too far back when he couldn't get the job done to really do what Vettel did to him on the first lap and slipstream him back up through the Kemmel straight. And that was the the first, I suppose, stint one for
1: Vettel. I do wonder, if even an in the heat of the moment he thought that was I shouldn't have done that I should have hung back should have maybe given us a little more patience um because after you know once once Vettel was established in the lead uh on the way down you know towards as far as Stavolo on the on the first lap under green kind of looked pretty comfortable after that for the next hour and a half
0: the only other card he really had to play that Mercedes had to play was of course that sole pit stop window And it looked like he was building up to perhaps a slightly more effective than it ended up being undercut uh, as he approached uh, a halfway distance. His stop came on lap 21 when it seemed like his tyres had finally started to give up. He'd said a couple of quick laps and then a, a slightly slower one as he came in. He had a deficit of around three and a half seconds. Uh, and ultimately, emerged uh, with a deficit of only about one and a half seconds. And like you say, I mean, Ferrari only had to bring Sebastian Vettel in on the next lap to cover that off. But it was perhaps slightly closer fought than we could have expected, if not simply because it did rely, of course, on Sebastian Vettel having a great in-lap, a great pit stop, when a mistake at any part of the way really could have cost him quite significantly.
1: Right. I mean, at this stage of the game, you're just dealing with track position, aren't you? So it it could be said that, we didn't really see Vettel in a, in a position where he had to pass Lewis in race conditions. Yes, I know he passed him on the first lap, but the first lap all bets are off because it's extenuating circumstances. What would have happened had he emerged behind Hamilton? Would he have be been able to make advantage of the fact that they were quickest in sector one and sector three? Would they, Would he have had, would the DRS have been strong enough that he could have lined up and then even... You know, even if he was 1.000 seconds behind, he could have still got past him. And even then, if he, if he could have passed him with the DRS, would Hamilton have been able to hold that off? Would he have done what he did last year with the restart? We'll never know that, unfortunately. But you are right in that so, so much as Vettel's in-lap was a half second quicker than, than Hamilton's. Yes, Hamilton got stuck behind Verstappen, but in the end, it didn't really matter that much because Ferrari covered the stop on the next lap. Now, if Ferrari had left Vettel out, then we might've had a race. Mm-hmm. You know, teams are not beyond making such bad calls. (laughs) So they did at
0: least stay with plan A. So Sebastian Vettel's easy win boded well for the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, the Temple of Speed. But in front of Ferrari's home crowd, its season began to fall apart. It started with a front row lockout, but quickly turned into a first lap crash and a clever Mercedes 1-2 victory. I caught up with Luca Manacorda from FormulaPassion.it to consider the irony that Ferrari was beaten by a team orders wielding Mercedes at its home Grand Prix. We want to talk about how expectation for Ferrari unraveled and became disappointment by the end of Sunday. In many respects, it started in qualifying, even though Ferrari got that 1-2, the first time since uh, 2000 that Ferrari locked out the front row. Uh, Already, Sebastian Vettel was a little bit unhappy. We heard after the race, the uh, engineers on the team radio celebrating excitedly that they'd scored the front row lockout, and Sebastian Vettel's only response was, we'll talk later. He was not happy about not being able to, to get the slipstream behind Lewis Hamilton as the way they'd planned, but... I mean, were you surprised that Kimi Raikkonen didn't give Sebastian Vettel a slipstream, given how far he is behind in the championship?
2: Yeah, uh, this is strange, but um, we have to say that Vettel was uh, just behind uh, Hamilton, so his position during the last lap was not so bad. Mm. Yeah, in in that case, uh, the team radio of Sebastian uh, sounds like a team radio of uh, Alonso in the past. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a a new new thing for Ferrari in Monza, this uh, problem with the slipstream. But it's first time, the first time that we saw uh, uh, Sebastian Vettel so uh, angry with the team.
0: Mm. Ferrari had a one-two on the on the front row of the grid. It should have been fairly straightforward from there. And they had a clean getaway for about four corners. Uh, that's all they got, though. And Sebastian Vettel came under attack from Lewis Hamilton and hit him in turn four into the second chicane. Spun his car around the wrong way. Ended up pretty much the back of the grid. Certainly, this was not only a costly mistake for Sebastian Vettel in terms of his race, obviously he lost a lot of points to Lewis Hamilton... But more importantly, it gave Kimi Raikkonen a strategic disadvantage because all of a sudden Mercedes had two cars to race and Ferrari had only Kimi Raikkonen all on his own. And all of a sudden it became this really difficult race for Ferrari because they had to decide how to defend against, obviously, Lewis Hamilton, how to counteract Valtteri Bottas, and they did so by pitting first. And we saw, and it became a little, a small bit of controversy, didn't it, because Mercedes sent its mechanics out to the pit lane because they thought maybe they would also pit Lewis Hamilton, change their mind at the last moment, and that was a decisive factor for them as well, giving Lewis Hamilton uh, another seven laps to have fresher tyres towards the end.
2: That was another key moment for the race because uh, Ferrari was uh, afraid uh, of the undercut, uh, but they they pitted too early, and we we have have seen this at the end of the race with Kimi that struggle with his tyres. The tyres were, were destroyed at the end of the race. So Mercedes won this race uh, on track, but also on the, on the box with the strategy. And uh, of course, uh, a key role was the, the role of uh, Valtteri Bottas, mm-hmm. that somebody here uh, has uh, criticised a lot. But uh, in this case, it's right for them for Mercedes to uh, use a driver in that way. Maybe it's not totally fair, but uh, we can understand them, I think.
0: Raikkonen to get back into the middle of this race was stuck behind Valtteri Bottas but it sort of was in equal parts uh, a whole bunch of different reasons that he ran out of tyres towards the end of this race it was partly because he was stuck behind Valtteri of course but then he was getting Valtteri slipstream so that helped him but It was partly as well that he was pushing so hard on those new tyres at the very start of his stint when he still had a lot of fuel in the car, when there was still a lot of rubber on the tyres, which meant they blistered more easily. Was this also just a little bit of bad management from Kimi Raikkonen in terms of playing the longer game and knowing that Lewis Hamilton was going to have fresher tyres at the end but not really conserving his own tyres? For sure, I
2: agree. And uh, I think uh, another problem for him was that uh, he cannot uh, overtake Uh, Bottas And This is uh, not good For his race Because With fresh tires And a faster Faster car He should Pass uh, Bottas With the use of DRS uh, We saw that uh, Was not impossible So This laps has been a very important uh, moment of the race and for the final race.
0: So even though the championship battle is effectively over in 2019, Ferrari will still be out for pride over the next two races. And there's every chance the Italian team has the car to do it. But as we learned from last year, it's all just a matter of execution. So can Sebastian Vettel or Charles Leclerc finally score a tide-turning win? I'll be back to dissect both races as usual in the coming weeks. Until then, you can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you ordinarily get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and all of your socials for our regular pre-race strategy guides. My name's Michael Amanato. You can find me at Michael Amanato on Twitter, and I'll catch you next week for a wrap-up of the Belgian Grand Prix.